everybody and welcome to episode 41 of elves rings and nerdy things i'm one of your co-hosts of this podcast and my name is sean i'm here with my other co-host of this podcast and his name is sam sam how are you on monday i'm missing the mlb home run derby to is record in, this podcast are you it's would you seattle. watch that oh it's in seattle oh nice yeah it's okay. in seattle and julio rodriguez is hitting in it i have no idea how he's doing but yeah okay well i am missing the dishes to record this podcast, but I'll think they will still be there when we wrap up. So no worries. Well, I'm sure they will. Yeah, Haley got, job, Haley, got a job to do. <laughs> Haley doesn't do the dishes. Just kidding. She's taking care of our child. All right. So we are here to talk about The Witcher Season 3, Episode 2. Mm, indubitably. I have a feeling that the first two episodes of the season so far have pretty much just been course correcting yep. for season two. And I watched ahead. I Initially, I was going to just watch every episode as we record them and then get to episode five when we get to it. But I admit I watched ahead to episode three. Oh boy. And episode three is where it kind of like finally gets back to the plot of the books. Okay. And at this point, I'm kind of like, where has this been this whole time? Yeah. Why didn't well, we have this from the beginning of season two? Because if you take the first two episodes of season three to just like fix your mistakes from season two, and now we're almost done with like, we're halfway pretty much with season three. And I, I just look at it and I go, what could have been Sam? What could have been? Well, and then the whole meta narrative around this is that, well, what could have been and then what could be with Henry Cavill leaving? Have you seen any of the stories about the billboard advertising campaign? Apparently, Netflix is running billboards that say something like, don't worry, Henry Cavill is still in season three. And it's not just one billboard. It's multiple, many billboards. I think they're in Los Angeles, which one, that's such a kind of screw you to Liam Hemsworth. Right. Like, oh, it's not Liam Hemsworth yet. It's still Henry Cavill. And then you know that he is a primary reason that people are tuning into this show. I would say yeah. he's probably the sole reason a lot of people tuned tuned into this show. And I read a there was an article that was saying, Will the Witcher survive after Henry Cavill? There was an art like some random web-based company clickbaity yeah very clickbaity and it, i commented that without even reading it i was like has it survived the writers <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, no that's that's the thing when you when, when when they when this series ends either after this season prematurely prematurely yeah. i'm we're i i, I mean I, unlike rings of power which we haven't talked about in a while this season or this series gets renewed one season at a time. You don't get five seasons off the bat because of reasons, Amazon money, but I could easily see Netflix canceling this. They've destroyed so much of the goodwill that season one generated in retrospect. Season one looks very good 
compared to what we've gotten, especially in season two. You've you've watched season three. You say it gets excuse me. You've watched episode three. You say season three gets better. I am going one episode at a time. And to be quite frank, yeah, I I wouldn't even say that. I think season three gets better. I'll say it gets more in line with the books. Okay, well, I hope that <laughs> I don't. I want to temper your expectations. No, I, I I heard ex- I heard you say it's more in line with the books. What I wanted to feel was, oh, that's better. Aspects of it make it better because they're following more of the plot that was so successful with the novels. But then you still have the shitty writing, the weird decisions and we can, we'll talk about it today because one of the points, there's a point in particular where it's more in line with the books, but then I'm like, you rush it and everything up to this point makes it make not makes it not make sense. Yes. For okay. all of a sudden, just throwing it into season two so, or season three. So let's get to the bottom of this funk. This there's something fishy. Someone's got athlete's foot. Yeah, and we're gonna sniff everybody's shoes until we find we, out. Who. We need some topical ointment. <laughs> all right. So let's let's do a quick. So oh, and final kind of meta commentary. Fan, fans know that we will just read the Wikipedia summary for episodes of whatever it is that we're covering. That's what we've done for seasons one and two of The Witcher. It's what we've done for episode. That's what we did for episode one. For episode two, there is no Wikipedia summary for episode two of season three of The Witcher. I take that as a testament, an indictment of the small and relatively dispassionate audience that you are left with. Where Un- Uninvested? Invested, yeah, because this was it's been out for almost two weeks. These episodes have been out for almost two weeks, and nobody wanted to update Wikipedia. Nobody felt compelled to update Wikipedia. And that's include that includes people who work for the show, seemingly. You know, maybe sometimes they would want to go in and, and do it themselves just to put it out there, but there's nothing. So we did it I ourselves, think, people. I think at some point, Netflix, someone at Netflix would be like, all right, who's going to bite the bullet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, can we get that intern to, to do the, the Wikipedia summary? And nobody he else keeps is. putting it off for two weeks because <laughs> he doesn't want to do it. But yeah, so there's Sam had to write his own. So apologies if it's garbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let us know. Email things at gmail.com. So if you hated our recaps during Rings of Power, because we're the ones who wrote those, <laughs> you're gonna hate this. <laughs> All right. Well, let's 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 take it for a swing. Why don't yeah, you want kick it or you want me to kick it off? You you wrote it, you read it. Uh, I don't want right, to be tied to this. These are my pros. Okay. After series visions increase in intensity. Yennefer searches for a way to quickly and discreetly travel to Eratusa, but before they can portal, thanks to Kira Metz, Siri frees a gnome from a local thug, prompting a confrontation. Yennefer kills the thug, and the two leave with their horses. Yennefer later shows Siri's visions of her past. Geralt and Yaskir consult with Codringer and Fen, who reveal that Rience is in the employ of a powerful mage using the castle Volpan as a base of operations. They imply they know the name of Rience's employer, but refuse to provide that inf- information without compensation beyond what Geralt can or has given. Geralt, on his own, infiltrates the castle, discovering and defeating a monster composed of three bodies stitched together. He rescues a girl claiming to be Ciri from the castle. Fringilla escapes her punishment as a wine taster slash poison detector. Kahir is shown fighting alongside 
the square tail, and I should say fighting alongside Gallatin specifically, and plots with Gallatin to take power from Francesca. Rience immolates Codringer and Fenn, stealing their cat in the process, all the while being observed by Philippa disguised as an owl. Philip tortures a willing Beekstra while he ruminates on a past failure. They agree that Radovid may be smarter than he appears. Radovid extracts a song from Yaskir in exchange for considering paying Codringer and Fenn for the name of Rience's employer. He and Yaskir share a moment. On Eratusa, a student has gone missing under suspicious circumstances, prompting Triss's curiosity. The chapter debates what to do about Nilfgaard and the Northern Kingdoms. Tessaya and Vilgefort discuss welcoming Yennefer back into the fold. Vilgefort give gives Tessaya a bracelet made of a pinkish stone. That is the Sam Marvin original plot summary for season two. Or excuse me, season three, episode two. Sean, what did you, you think? What did you, you think? I you it fumbled, you fumbled yeah, it at yeah, the end. Yeah. <laughs> I should have written out everything I said. Sean, what did you think? Not of the episode. What did you think of my episode summary? It was fine. I didn't like the increase in intensity. Alliteration is not good with that, the, that initial. Well, and your speed reading. And if I'm going to be honest, I tuned out. Well, you heard it here first, <laughs> folks. <laughs> I read it. The, when we were doing our show notes, but uh, All right. yeah, but yeah, very well done, Sam. And Thank you. Uh, we'll go straight into our complaints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, for the episode. The, that's the title of the next section in our in our notes. Just complaints. not reactions or commentary. Complaints. That's how we're thinking about it right now. Yeah, for me, my big thing was I'm. I'm pretty disinterested in what's going on in the show, especially during episode two. So my, I, there were so many periods of time where I'm watching the show where I just stopped taking notes. Cause I was, I, I didn't really care about what, what I was seeing on screen. And when you told me you put your notes into the document and I looked, you had probably four times as many notes as I did. So then I just took what you had and kind of like inserted my handful of notes throughout yours. So we're going to go through it. Our first section is called complaints. And, you know, would we get to our handful of likes at the end, but this is going to be a pretty complaint heavy. And, <laughs> and to, in defense of us against a hypothetical charge that we're pessimists or we're, we're being overly negative, the show is not being well-received. And so we're we're not exactly outliers in our in our criticisms here, but we, you know, we, I think we agree that the show needs to hear this. You know, theoretically, this feedback needs to be put out there. One, so that maybe there's a chance that Netflix continues to course correct or course corrects, and two, that if there's other properties out there being developed, maybe they take these lessons before they need to. Point A of our complaint section. Too many plot lines, too many scenes, too many characters. This was one of our complaints from episode one as well. And you did a very good job of kind of listing out all of the different characters and subplots within this episode. Now I'm going to go through and read them. And then I want you to just talk about the handful that you find the most problematic. Okay. So first we have Geralt and Yaskir. We have Yennefer and Ciri. Dijkstra, Philippa, and Vizimir. Radovid and Yaskir, Tissaia and Triss, 
Tissaia and Vilgefortz and all of the other chapter members, Rience, Kadriger, and Fenn, Galatin and Kahir. There's a weird scene with a mirror and a dwarf. Fringilla drinking wine. We finally see Vizimir's queen for the first time. And then mentioned Hoganavel and Bonart, Leo Bonart, for some reason. Yeah, and I went back and my approach to the episode summary was just to give each plot thread its own its own paragraph. And there were eight different paragraphs of scenes or plot lines worth summarizing. I didn't even summarize the conversation between Amir and the dwarf Smith. Didn't talk about the scene at the end, the banquet scene with Vizimir and all the members of the royal household, I guess. But this is to your point of you don't you're not really following along. It is hard to follow. This is a ton of characters and you never really get enough time with any one of them to get a deeper understanding of what they're doing with maybe one exception. And for me, this was a highlight of the show so far, which is Radovid and the, and his, his scenes, he's actually an interesting character. I think he's, he's acted very well. The writing there is not bad, but the show is called the Witcher. It's not called Radovid and his cool cats hang out in Redania. So every one of these plot lines and all of these characters detract from the central drama of the story, which is Geralt and Ciri primarily. But if we want to at least give the relationship of Geralt, Yennefer, and Ciri kind of the central stage, all of the time spent elsewhere is not time wasted, but a lot of it is not, it's not wholly wasted, but a lot of it is. And we didn't even get a scene with Francesca. And th- they mentioned Istrid, and I'm assuming he's going to make an appearance again because it seems like he's also searching for Siri for whatever reason. And so this just one more thing to layer on to an already very bloated show where you don't get any time to appreciate the relationship. And I think see, episode two was, was pretty bad. Episode one, where it really hurt, was that you didn't believe, or at least I didn't believe, the Yennefer and Geralt had repaired their relationship to the point necessary. Anyway, that was that's kind of my overall thoughts around just too many plots, too many different scenes, too many characters floating around having screen time. And then name dropping for no reason. Like the Huguenavel and Leo Bonnert being cousins. In the books, that, that whole plot, like Leo Bonnert comes in a little bit earlier because he's hunting Ciri. But the Huguenavel, that's not even to like Tower of the Swallow. Like we're talking book three, four. So yeah. to just to like reference this guy for no reason. Well, oh, and so- I guess to me, it's just like. It serves the purpose of Kira Metz jumping through the portal and leaving and then forcing Yennefer and Siri to find a different route, which they were already doing anyway. So to me, I'm just like, what's the point to introduce Kira Metz? I, I don't know. That was one of the things that drove me, that that really grated on my nerves with this episode, is it was just almost the final insult to injury in that whole Siri and Yennefer series of scenes where you don't know where they are. You're getting background conversation around 
what was it, Kide Wynn and A. Dearn and all of this, but you don't know, you don't know if, I mean, you don't know if they're in Redania and we're talking about these two other kingdoms or you're in one of those kingdoms and you're talking about a conflict or you're in a third kingdom and those two kingdoms are also in conflict. The failure to properly set the table when it comes to the political context in which we're operating has all of these negative consequences down the road to the point where at any given point, you don't know who the character should be worried about, right? Like we, we were, Huguenavel and Leo Bonhart were mentioned after Yen and Siri already left, right? I think the name Huguenavel was, was dropped by Kira right before she jumped through the portal, but you had no fucking idea who that person is. And yeah, she literally goes, yeah, she just says, don't you realize who that was? That was a henchman for Huguenavel. That was one of Huguenavel's men. And Yennefer doesn't know who that is. Siri doesn't know who that is. And they the just audience, go, The audience doesn't know who it is. Yeah, if and you've it, never read the books, you have no idea. Exactly. So it's and just he, like, I guess he's a bad guy. And then they don't reference him again. Yeah. And they just leave. And he could be a crime lord, right? He could be a, a, a military guy. He could be the local lord. It, it doesn't... It, he could be a merchant. It, it could be any variety of potentially threatening but maybe also an, a winnable ally is are we going to have a conflict it's just and then the show you, the show does fan service so terribly <laughs> it's, it's, it's fan disservice because it's one thing and people complain about other properties where like they will drop a name on something but then it really doesn't matter because they'll be like oh this planet we're going here or they're going there and they'll name a planet and ever all the fans are like, Oh my God, they named this planet that's in this episode. But it doesn't, it has no impact on the plot or anything. When you have a moment like this, it's, it's impactful. It should be impactful to the story because it's forcing them to flee a situation and it's directly affecting the characters. And it's supposed to further the plot because it's not allowing them to go through a portal for some reason. Like they can't just go with Kira Metz made no sense to me yeah but they drop a name and then that's it and then if you've read the books there's so much meaning behind it but those moments where it's fan service it shouldn't have a huge impact on the story at least of the story that you're telling and if it is going to have a big impact on the story then that should reflect in your episode not it's not like a throwaway, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm starting to ramble a little bit. But. No, it's okay. Cause it's, it's, it's something that is core to the show. And I think now at, I'm at the point where there are, there are spots elsewhere in our notes for this episode where it's just my frustration with the writers is very hard to repress because they don't understand how to set up and then pay off things, which is a fundamental aspect of, of, of writing you don't know the stakes of encounters. You don't know where people are. You don't know why characters are motivated to do certain things. And so at the result, and you, again, you said losing interest. It's like, yeah, you don't, it's a confusing, it's a confusing show to watch. It's extra confusing as a book reader because you're getting names, right? But you're not getting them in the proper context. And you know that they're not doing justice to the actual book. So then it's just even more confusing because you have to kind of untangle these threads that they've mashed together mm -hmm. so and i have i have resisted the urge to turn this into a this is how sam would write the witcher 
thing, which I texted you about separately, which I might actually try to do just as like a creative exercise. But you would just you would begin with es- establishing shots of here's the city. It's Gors Valen or wherever. As they're walking into the city, Yennefer will say, Siri, you have to be on your guard. The, you know, the local lord, Huganovel, doesn't accept any, you know, pickpocketing or whatever it is. So then when Siri makes a childish mistake, you know, acting out her sense of righteousness and justice, we understand that that has consequences. As it was, like they freed the gnome. Okay, so we're well, you've moved you you moved on to the I've next section. On. I have moved so on. <laughs> our next section has called failure of world building. And you've already mentioned the first point. More kingdoms referenced without a map. And we've mentioned in the past, this is what I mean, you have Game of Thrones doing it really well. Their whole in and in, intro scene is a giant map of their world that they're in. So you every episode are seeing where everything is. Lord of the Rings does it phenomenally with map use in the movies where you can actually see where they are as they're traveling. And this show doesn't do that at all. And it would be Uh, so, it would be so easy to do that yeah. because you have, you have Kings and their advisors, you have Geralt and Yennefer running across the, the, you know, the, the entire first part of episode one was them seemingly jumping around from place to place. They could have a scene where they look at a map and Geralt can go, Oh, you know, they're, they're, figuring out where they're going to travel to next. Well, I know Yarpin Zigrin winters in this valley up here. Maybe we could try that. And then you, you at least have a sense of where they are in relation to these other important locations. But there's never any establishment happening whatsoever. Likewise, with the whole hanging of the prisoners thing is so cheap because it's like they're kind of trying to be hardcore with, oh, we're not afraid to show you know dead people hanging. But they do such a terrible job of using shock. And this is another thing that will, there's another scene where this is important of using shock to convey information and get attention. Cause it's just done in a confusing manner. Like if you want to do that, well, you would have somebody can't come up and say in the name of King Vizimir of Redania, I sentence you to death spies for, you know, the traitors kingdoms of blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. They, they do that. They say, this is the third Adernian spy we've hung. It's like, but where are you? <laughs> yeah, but we don't know where you are. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, so and where it's, did it's, this, where is Adern? Like, where did this Adernian spy come from? And what is he trying to find out about your little shitty town that you're in? Yeah. And the thing is, and this, this, this might be overly nitpicky just to the way I process information, but fantasy names with a lot of diphthongs and strange consonant orders and things like that are confusing to remember if you don't have something to associate with them. So like in a, in a book, if I'm reading, if I'm reading the Witcher and I read Adirn or Tamiria or whatever it is, I can associate, like attach my understanding of that concept to the way that the word actually looks. It's a lot harder to do that with sounds. And so that's why a map would be so helpful is because you can instantly remember in an actual space, how these things relate to another, to each other. You know, oh, those three kingdoms all border each other. So naturally, they're they're going to be in opposition. And maybe their union against Nilfgaard was, you know, just a, a, you know, a flash in time. And their natural state is to be in conflict. Now I understand the context for the coming wars or whatever it is. But if it's just all words that people say at each other, it it's it's in one ear and out the other. It's not impactful. Yeah. Subpoint C 
in our complaints. Far too many nonsensical decisions and dialogue, a.k.a. the characters are only as smart as the writers. Nice little <laughs> dig by you. Hey, it's true. <laughs> Your first example, Geralt's wager with Codringer, was just an excuse for a friend to give a friend some info. Now, in the moment in this scene, Geralt goes to Codringer and Fenn is trying to figure out who Ryan's is working for. And to get a little bit more information, he has a wager where he says, hey, Codringer, throw this like dart thing at my head. If you hit it, you don't have to give me information. And he purposefully misses because Fenn calls him a softy because she knows that he missed the shot on purpose. But what, what did you the, like? What was the what, wager? What, what, what did, like, what, <laughs> there was no wager. Oh, it's it was clear, just, Sam. It's very clear. If the dart a, hits him in the head, they don't have to give him information. Oh, what a great thing that you've won. Like wagers involve stakes that each party puts up. Like I I don't think and Codringer is the the dude, right? And yeah. Fen is the 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 woman. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think Codringer would derive any value from hitting Geralt in the head with that throwing star. If we've so, already established that they're friends. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> so stupid. Just say like, uh, you know, can I tap into the goodwill that we've built up over our many years? You know, some some language. Geralt is supposed to be a person who's able to win friends and and get information from people and get people to trust him because he is he's just and he is, you know, virtuous. This is just a, such a hackneyed way. And then I, I realized they even ripped themselves off with the whole throwing dart game with Nivellin from episode one of season two. Mm-hmm. Where it was another wager about throwing darts and getting information. It's just which you're gonna that one actually ripping. that one actually worked though. Yeah, because it was the whole point was that he was losing Being on cheated. purpose. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. he was cheating. cheating. So That's it was right. like, right. yeah, yeah. So that actually had a good explanation behind it. This one was just, yeah, you could have gone about it way different. And we are, and later in this scene, we get. Earlier in the scene, we get Geralt's moral high ground, where Codringer is just like, sacrifice one oh, yeah. blonde-haired, of- blue-eyed girl so the other one can live. And then that's when Geralt goes, I wouldn't be able to live myself. What wh- what would I be buying with like my by loathing myself? That doesn't make any sense. So we already understand that his moral character is high. So, yeah, I would much rather had a scene where you give a little backstory between them, talk about a time where maybe Geralt helped them, and then he's like, do me a favor now. Yeah, they could have been written a whole lot different. I mean, and the other thing is the the only thing that they gave him that he didn't already have was an actual, was a name of the castle and the location. But he seemed to already half know the location from the short time that he was in the castle. Because he, as soon as they said, you know, the castle of Volpane, I think it's Geralt who says, oh, near the, you know, the red ammonite mines or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So he he already was halfway there. You could have just turned that into a, you know, I need information about castles near red ammonite mines or something like that. It didn't have to be, where's the big, bad, evil guy hanging out? All that information is going to cost you. But we'll tell you where, you know, we'll tell you the three castles that are near red ammonite mines. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there are, there are smarter ways to do this information than the stupid wagering thing. Anyway, that you, was my that was my first complaint on that front. Your your second in this category 
Geralt's line, it's probably a trap. Yeah, so he says that to his horse as he's walking up to this castle, which, by the way, he seems to get to in five minutes. It's convenient, convenient ride right outside the city. That's the other failure of world building. We have no idea how long it takes anybody to get anywhere. Okay, here's the thing with wagers have stakes. People put up something when they're making a wager. Traps also have bait. So what was the bait? He went there of his own volition. There's no reason to think that any of the big, bad, evil people are trying to lure Geralt there. And if he thought it was a trap, why did he just walk up the road to the castle instead of sneak up on it from the mountains or at least try to go incognito? He just walks up with his head completely uncovered. Anyway. And in episode one, Rience knows that Geralt has been to the castle. So wouldn't Rience then fortify it a little bit more? <laughs> yeah, knowing right. that Because yeah. he fought him there. So Okay. All right. Point three. Yep. Geralt, a- just, Geralt just leaving the castle instead of checking that the girl was okay before continuing to investigate. Because if you were following along in the episode, all of a sudden he's like probably a league or so away from the castle by some creek. And then he like wakes her up. Yep. He's far enough away to say you're safe. And there's, you would, the whole reason Geralt went there, courting what he considered to be in, in extreme danger and maybe even death, you know, Yaskier, like, it, maybe he'll kill you or whatever. The whole reason he went there into the jaws of this trap was to kill Rience, to protect his adoptive daughter. I understand he has the urge to protect the innocent, and that's the explanation for why he left the castle. But you think that once he neutralized the monster and he saw that the girl was alive and relatively uninjured, that he could have said, you know, follow that tunnel and run, run away as far as you can, or wait here, I'll be back or anything. You think he would have at least tried to continue investigating to kill Rience, which is the whole reason that he went to the castle in the first place. And this is something that is a complete invention of the writers. This isn't from the book and it didn't need to happen because it just, it makes your character look like he's unmotivated. And we've already like struggled with characterization for Geralt a little bit. And this didn't help next. Yen killing the thug. Oh my God. Knock him out, change his memory, etc. You're a mage. You don't need to force choke a dude to death because he drew a sword on your little girl. I will I, say it was a pretty slick scene though. When I I, I kind of liked the cinematography of that how the camera panned around and you saw her with her hand up behind yeah, no, it, that, that was, was pretty sick. Yeah, but again, I think you said this in our uh, in our review of episode 1, in service of what? Yeah. Right? It's it, what is, what is it furthering? The whole the whole moral lesson that Yennefer was trying to impart to Siri over that course of th- that don't episode was don't be rash, actions have consequences and then you just you kill a dude because he he got pissed at your daughter for freeing your his gnome captive, which yeah. The, and the, I feel like I just feel like knocking him unconscious, even if you're not going to change his memory doing anything like that, knocking him unconscious and then just getting away would be less of a punishment for you. Like yeah. it would lead to less of a punishment than killing him. Yeah. Because then I feel like Hoovenagel's like, well, okay, well, I lost a dwarf, but I've still got my henchman. Now slap on the wrist. Versus you killed my henchman, I'm gonna fucking get you. Like those are yep. two completely different situations. Yep. It's it, it was 
baffling. And the whole, the other thing is you were inside Kira Metz's shop or her tent and the dude died without making any sounds. You could take a, Kira didn't need to jump in the portal, by the way. She could have easily closed that one and opened a new one to a place where all three of them could escape together to safety. It just, people don't make rational, people don't make the decisions that intelligent people in those situations, again, I know it's a fantasy show, but verisimilitude, if you're a mage who's been alive for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, you've probably got the wherewithal to understand that, oh, I can close this portal, open a new portal. Kira knows how to open portals that can't be traced. That's the only reason they went to see her. So they can get off completely scot-free. It, 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 it's one of those things where it doesn't make any sense, the actions that the people take in the moment, because the characters can't be smarter than the writers. But Sam, them running away was sh- the writer showing you how dangerous Huvenagel was. Who can I? <laughs> who's Huvenagel? <laughs> who's, yeah, who's who? I don't know how dangerous he is because <laughs> the show has done nothing to demonstrate that to me. Like, if anything, and here's the, here's the whole thing with that. With and there's a whole other complaint around the whole Yennefer series series of scenes, which maybe we'll talk about it. No, yeah, we'll, I we'll... I have a big point in the next our next subtopic for complaints. Okay. So then let's let's hold off on continuing to dive in there and just move on to the the next wonderful yeah wonderful complaint. Your last point in this subsection is Rance doesn't notice an owl just chilling outside the burning building. I'll also add he doesn't notice it fly through the portal with him as well. And then can't mages sense other mages slash magic users? You'd think someone would be able to. Yeah, if well, a witcher has a pendant that vibrates whenever there's something magical, we I guarantee I don't guarantee I cannot guarantee this because I have not watched the subsequent the rest of the episodes in the book before the ball at Eratusa, Tosia DeVries and what's her name? Margarita Locks Antilly. Who Los Antilles. Los Antilles. Sorry. That's French, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you're the Francophile. I can say bonjour and that's it. They, thank you. The two of them are out in the city looking for truant students who escaped from Eratusa in the run-up to the ball. They sense Siri using magic in her confrontation at the, like the Werven exhibit or whatever it was where she fights a werven basically and she uses magic to escape they notice that and they immediately find her and then they reunite with yennefer and there's some additional stuff there so we know in the universe of the witcher that magic users can detect other magic users you would think that a an assassin sorcerer would be on the lookout for other mages especially when he's ha- he's had run-ins with both Yennefer and Geralt. And so it doesn't make any sense that he wouldn't notice the most powerful mage or one of the most powerful mages in the continent literally sitting next to him in a magical form. And that's the other thing. Like Polymorph in the world of the Witcher is incredibly powerful. Like Philippa is one of the only is one of the very few people who can do it. So you think that it might draw and even then. Anybody walking by a fucking owl standing there next to a burning building, you'd think you'd notice it. Or like the cat would react to it or anything. And then, yes. And then flies. for me, like when it flies into the portal with him, I'd yeah. be like, what's this fucking owl doing? <laughs> yeah. And like, I get it. Owls are really silent flyers. 
you got to imagine maybe it's going to fly right into him on the other side of the portal or when they yeah. both go through the portal, he's going to fly see past it. it. Yeah. yeah. Like what the, what the hell is, I, I just turned on big canal. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, our next subsection, we're going to move on to Yen and Siri. You don't want to talk about the Philippa and Dijkstra. Is that up there? Yeah, it was the. F- oh, I skipped yeah. it. Uh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand yeah, why I you mean... wanted to skip it. <laughs> We probably should talk about it. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I'll let you explain what happens in this up or in this scene. Sure. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. No, no one. No. So that's my, my sub point number three. It's, it's not how that works. So are you, <laughs> and I can't say that from experience. I just, uh, I don't know. All right. <laughs> I say Sam in his note, it says it's not really BDSM. <laughs> I, and <laughs> and I, I don't, I, I'm not How saying do you that know as an that, expert, Sam? <laughs> saying that as a, a person alive in the world. Okay, so <laughs> we have a scene where Philippa Eilhalt is whipping Dijkstra and not just hitting him with a riding crop or spanking actually whipping him with a bullwhip, drawing blood, breaking huge wounds across his back. It is supposed to be, well, let me, I read one article calling it sex position and comparing it to Game of Thrones. And it's not sex position because I, I would say it's not sex position because one, we don't get any actual exposition. We get, we get backstory that doesn't really relate to the plot of the episode. It's more characterization of, of, Dijkstra just underlying it's, all, it's yeah it's all Dijkstra it just gives him more character development yeah and just, I to me I was like you could have done it so differently well yeah. I guess there's two things I think they're trying to do and I don't think they did it successfully they're trying to f- further Dijkstra's character because there's the whole conversation of did you enjoy your first kill and he goes no it made me angry I thought we could have turned her so it's showing that he's much more intelligent in his spy mastering and he's not looking for murder and being evil for evil's sake. There's like a method to his madness and it's trying to further that by developing him developing him a little bit more. But it's also trying to show that there's a relationship between him and Philippa like there is in the books. And they haven't really done much in terms of like showing that there's a relationship there throughout the first two episodes until this scene where she's whipping him. And like, as you say, a not really BDSM moment, Yeah, but it, they're trying to do those two things and they kind of succeed on one and then just not in the other. Yeah. And the reason I say it's, it's not sex position is because it's just characterization of both of them we don't get any valuable plot information and the whipping is violent to the point of being distracting to the audience because it looks like a scene from glory or like uh have you ever seen starship troopers a long time ago there's a there's a public flogging scene in that where casper van Dien's character is is you know gets 50 lashes or whatever and the whole point of the that is because it's a punishment and it's yeah. painful. And he like screams out in pain. And there is it's never implied that let me say this. 
in other areas where you see people whipping each other in fiction or in real life and drawing blood, it's not a sexual or a titillating thing. It is about punishment and the inflicting of pain. And I saw one summary that said, oh, Dijkstra is a masochist. He didn't seem to be deriving any pleasure from it. And that's the point of sadism, sadism and masochism. It's the derivation of pleasure from inflicting or receiving pain. And it just seemed to be painful to the point where he goes, you went a little harder or something like that. And he then he just like kind of the whole thing's over and he casually he puts his white shirt back over his open bleeding wounds, which just it's one of those things, too, where you instantly see it and you go, no normal person would do that. He would be he would probably be incapable of moving his arms and he would be on the floor. He'd get medical assistance. Yeah, it, it's completely ridiculous. And then like he, he's. There's also a point where he's like crying from the pain too. So it's yes, yeah. He doesn't seem to be enjoying it. No, and 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 to be quite frank, I don't want to see one. I don't. I wouldn't want to see this scene with him deriving sexual pleasure from it. And I would prefer not to have the scene at all. And then my final point is they're totally and they stole it from Vikings with Count Odo in season three or four. I think he does the exact same thing. Or there's a similar relationship between they just inverted it where instead of the man inflicting the pain on a woman. It's the woman inflicting pain on the man. I don't remember remember that. I remember the blood Eagle and Vikings. That was, yeah. Well, that was intense. Yeah, that was somebody should next up. (laughs) (laughs) Yen and series scenes encompass everything. I dislike about this show. And now I'm going to do my one note from this topic first. And it's the whole concept of Yennefer calling Siri ugly one, my ugly one. Yes. Throughout the books, Yennefer calls that calls Siri that all the time. She hasn't called Siri that once up until this episode. And she just randomly starts doing it. You've already established in episode one that they have a loving relationship where they're like skating together and having fun and series forgiven her for selling her to exactly (laughs) and then all of the sudden she just starts calling her ugly one it made no sense and And to me this is one of those things where it's like it happens in the books everything that you've done up to this point makes her doing this all of a sudden unbelievable because of the decisions that you've made and now, because you want to be closer to the books, you're just going to fucking throw this in. And then all of a sudden, by the end of the episode, she's not calling her ugly one anymore. And it's like, <laughs> why did you even do it? Yep. It you, doesn't you make gotta... sense. And uh, and it's only prompted after Yennefer kills a dude, right? Yeah. Like, that's the that's the biggest thing. These these. No, I think she does it before in the very beginning when they're. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah, it's like right after she sees Applegat for the first time and uh, has okay, that. Okay. She's calling her ugly one then. Okay. But it yeah, you've already developed this like maternal sister relationship. What has happened since episode 1 that like, at least tell us like give us a conversation between Yennefer and somebody I'm where like- she's like I need to start doing like to say a teaching thing and like be mean to her. But that never happens. It just like switches all of a sudden. No, and there and there's no, none of Siri's actions that are negative are directed at Yennefer. Siri is 
respectful of Yennefer and she maybe questions, but it's never, she's never like bratty about it. She's always kind of defending herself for the actions that she takes, uh, defending herself against Yennefer's chiding. And then again, Yennefer killed the dude. Okay. So my other complaints about starting with the reason that, okay. So the Yennefer and Siri stuff is just an encapsulation of all of the things that I dislike about the show right now. We have no idea where they are. We don't know where they are when they start at the open tavern where she meets Applegat and we see the bodies hanging. We don't know where they are where they where they meet Kira Metz. And we don't know where they are after that, except they end up in a random field that used to be where Yennefer was a kid, which looks nothing like that scene in they just, the first well, season. And they just so happen to like be oh, yeah. just, a horse ride from yeah yeah again and you, where so, Yennefer grew up in this world yep which I think Vengerberg is supposed to be relatively central right of the in the continent because it's it's fought over between Nilfgaard and and the Northern Kingdoms I don't even remember at this right? time I, I think technically in I think it's a Vengerberg is about to be overrun by Nilfgaard in the Second War so it's relatively central which again goes against their whole thing of they began the episode or they, they began the season on the edge of the world and they're kind of coming back into civilization. So all of a sudden you just jump to the center of everywhere. Again, we have no idea where they are or how long they've been traveling. Um, the, you've already talked about the calling Siri the ugly one. They are not traveling incognito. Yennefer is walking around noticeably beautiful as a mage it's commented on in the very first scene of the episode what's siri, a mage doing here yeah yeah siri is walking around completely undisguised and when they were traveling with Geralt, they were disguised and covered up with hoods and now they're traveling with even less protection and they're going completely out in the open in areas where they have they have no reason to think that they're going to be safe doesn't make any sense Again, the characters are only as smart as the writers. Yen telling young Yen telling Siri to comb her hair. Yes. So and I love in all caps highlights the fact that Siri's hair is still uncovered slash undyed. Everybody yeah. is looking for this ashen-haired girl. Why wouldn't you put some goddamn tar in her hair and they, make it black? Don't they do that in, in season one where she puts mud in her hair? Just do that again. Yeah, she, then, do, and, she does. And, yeah. And then maybe you can call her ugly one and it can be for a reason. It the can moment, be like a little yeah. joke. Right? The moment she gets out of Sintra, she puts mud in her hair to yes, get rid of the color. Because she knows oh, that's a man. noticeable feature. I but completely anyway. forgot about that. Thank you yeah. for making me hate the show more. You're welcome. <laughs> so Yennefer, while she's trying to teach Siri about the consequences of her actions, steals a comb in the middle of the freaking marketplace and gives it to Siri. Siri's hair, by the way, is already done. I rewatched that scene twice and noticed that like the, it's not braided, but it is certainly arranged in a certain way. And then th maybe this is more on the director. Siri just kind of half-heartedly combs the really end of her hair. Just the, the very, the end strands. Mm -hmm. uh, so then Yen comes off like a total jerk when she tells her to comb her hair for seemingly no reason. But then the other thing that really gets me going, and this relates to the whole, I'm going to really try not to just rewrite this in my mind. What a great opportunity it would be for a moment demonstrating their relationship where maybe after a long day of travel, Yennefer combs Siri's hair and uses that opportunity to impart some lesson to her. 
And you can see their relationship. You can see that Yennefer is taking on a, a motherly role, that Siri is reciprocating and that she listens to Yennefer and especially, and it can highlight the fact that they're all that they have because it's just the two of them. And there's, they're, you know, sitting in front of the fire in the woods and she's combing her hair. How's how, how easy would that have been to do? And instead we get this re- nonsensical exchange anyway. Okay. Continuing on with things that I don't like about Yen and Siri's plot specifically. I think in both seasons one and in seasons two, they've talked about how portals can be traced. Now, all of a sudden, portals can't, the certain, like the, there, are, there are certain mages who can cast portals that cannot be traced. And not just that, that this new power exists, but it just happens to be somebody that you know and are can get to very easily and who seemingly is not a very powerful sorcerer. So why don't you have this power, Yennefer? Anyway, that was something that kind of annoyed yeah. me. We talk about the this one. It's some Huguenavel thug dwarf things. We've already covered this one. Well, we've covered the Huguenavel Bonart stuff, but we haven't covered like what that thug and that gnome are doing. Right? I you and I know from re- being book readers that there is a there's a lot of animosity and there's violence against non-humans. And we get mm-hmm. that with, we get that with elves in, in season two, but we, and we, we get a little bit of mistreatment of a gnome in season one, but we have no context for the Northern kingdoms have stepped up their persecution of non-humans to the point where it is worth paying a mage to open a portal to take a gnome somewhere else so that they can be brutalized. And I understand shit beat out of them. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, the, the writers wanted that scene to happen, but there's nothing, but the motivation for it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then the final thing you mentioned this, they're just, they happen to be just down the trail from Yennefer's childhood home, which is now completely abandoned. It used to be a farm. It used to, there used to be buildings and a fence and a road. I'm sure that there were other nearby farms and now there's nothing. It's just a, it's an empty field. and. Like, did Yennefer need to be at that location to give Siri those flashbacks of her own experience? Because they weren't all connected to that location. There were a lot of them, a lot of those things that we see in flashbacks come from her time on Eratusa. And then, like, if you want to, if you want to do that, give us a little CGI fade out where it turns from nighttime in an empty field to like daytime on the day that Tessiah comes and buys Yennefer. And mm-hmm. You know, Siri can be there looking at these things happening, similar to what happened to her in season two when she was kind of in that mind palace, or like what what happens with Bran in Game of Thrones, where he like projects himself into the past. Anyway, those are all my complaints. I should say some of my complaints around Yen and Siri rant over. And now we're on to our assorted complaints. These are miscellaneous complaints. That didn't fit in, in, into any of the above <laughs> subcategories. Uh, we'll start with Radovid's guest slash friends pawing and touching Yaskir after his performance. What you didn't you him? like about that? It was just so weird. And the expression on the guy who touches him is so weird. I think, I think I, I'll just chalk it up to bad acting, but. It, or I they're was, trying to further how weird Radovid and his friends are. But again, like what what purpose does that serve? Yeah, I, I mean, I was waiting for them to do the like pansexual orgy. 
which I, again, I've only seen the first two episodes. So maybe that happens later on in the season, but that those are the strong vibes I was getting. Or maybe it happened beyond behind the scenes. And yeah, episode. after Yaskier leaves. <laughs> yeah. Vilgefort's gift to Saya, overtly subtle, will be noticed by Geralt. Oh, so you have read, or no? I I just further. I I call this this is ham fisted because it's incredibly obvious oh. what is happening here. So you, I I know that Geralt is going to see that on Tasaya's wrist at the ball, and maybe it'll be a slight red herring, or it'll prompt a series a line of questioning and if i'm wrong i'm wrong that's fine but it's it's just the type this is of you thing. guessing okay. i'm guessing yeah i'm guessing but <laughs> it's a great it's a great example of oh we're gonna do show don't tell but then you show so obviously that it's it's ham-fisted again so they go out of their way to blur the background the characters in the background and focus on this bracelet the characters don't talk about the materials or where it came from or anything like that, which I don't know about you. I'm you've I'm assuming you've given Carly pieces of jewelry in the past. There's usually some sort of comment about oh why? Where did it come from? Blah blah blah. Could the be blood diamond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I murdered a gnome for it. Anyway, so now, I'm kidding. I don't buy all of Sean's jewelry is conflict free. People yes. can be can be assured of that. Yeah. So I anyway, this was not nearly the worst thing that happened this episode, but it still was a little it's like just so obvious. And I think that's the problem is the writers can't do subtlety anyway. OK, Move, moving on to Amir, his whole brief scene with the dwarf who makes Mahakam steel swords. Amir's guard's helmet doesn't fit. The neck is completely <laughs> unprotected and the double chin is obvious. So. <laughs> And that's in the middle of the scene of Amir, like telling a story and balancing telling a dumb story. And, yeah. yeah. And can I just say, if I hear another reference to this goddamn usurper who they have given no backstory to and have not shown us anything about him, I don't care. It means nothing to me. Every time they talk about Amir, oh, I took down the usurper with this sword. I'm like, it doesn't mean anything to me. So why are we still talking about it? Yeah. Why, why this scene, this scene does nothing to advance the plot. We don't know. Like, why does Amir need a sword? Is he going to start fighting? Why, why did this happen now? It doesn't tie into anything else that happens in this episode. And it's just dumb. No, who's going to trade a pair of boots for a sword? Like what, in the in the book, a Mahakam steel sword is established as being very valuable because it is sharp and strong and magical, right? I think they're magical to a certain extent. Yeah. So like some... what's this what's the steel in Game of Thrones? The Valyrian steel. It's like yeah. Valyrian steel. Yeah. So it's like so okay, so a pair of used boots is worth a magic sword. Like what sort of Jack and the Beanstalk trade is that anyway? And then the whole thing happens in a completely erroneous scene. The, the Again, and this goes to just the overall quality of the show, you couldn't find somebody who fit the armor that you had for Amir's guard. That person is obviously, like, didn't, didn't belong in that scene. Anyway, there's that. 
maybe that scene was used to establish the fact that Amir drinks wine, which connects to the other useless plot line of this episode. Yeah, which we haven't even mentioned, and I think that's okay. Things that I can barely follow because I don't care. Stregobor's position on what the chapter slash brotherhood should do. Gallatin and Kahir. Yeah, I mean, wasn't Stregobor all about, we? I don't care, let Nilfgaard take over? That wasn't that his big thing in season one. He kind of led the opposition to Vilgefortz and, and everybody else who wanted to do something at Sodden. Yep. And didn't, anyway. So and now and, he's now he's saying <laughs> we, we need to unite. put Triss put Triss back in Fultis court. We need <laughs> yeah, we got to unite the North yeah. against Nilfgaard. Okay, and then Gallatin and Kara here, of course. Yeah, this brand new invented character who is portrayed really annoyingly by somebody whose idea of acting is just talking in a gravelly voice. Yeah, um, yeah of course, he and Kahir are, are old chums, and. <laughs> Did you? I, I had to. I just rewatched that season, scene because I realized I didn't do a good enough job paying attention to what was happening because it comes out of nowhere, and Kahir is just raiding caravans by himself, his, by himself with no armor. He's just in rags, fighting fully armed knights, hoping like, "Oh, Galatin, what are you doing here?" He's just and Galatin's by himself too. Gal, yeah, by himself. It's not. It's not like he's with his Scoyatel troops, and they're like, "Oh, we're all here to help you." All of a sudden, yeah. It's yeah. Anyway, and then I put at the very end, the first two episodes just feel like course correction from season two. I mean, and I mean, you'll you'll notice it more once you get to episode three, when it finally starts to jive with what the books are doing, and it's just like season three could have started with episode three. Find a way to get there. And I, you, this first line, we're going to go straight into the likes because there's not very many of them. You put Geralt versus the girl monster was great. I hated that scene. Really? What the fuck was that? I thought, I thought that was great. I thought it was dumb. They're making it out to be like this, whoever, whatever mage is serving Riance is like Frankensteining blonde girls together why what's and what's the heads attached to the wall oh i i thought i thought it was really fun body horror to be quite frank the disgusting fight scene was a wonderful refreshment from the otherwise boring dialogue scenes i didn't agree i i was just as bored with that as i was with i mean the fight was pretty inspiring but i was like what it makes no sense if you're trying to brainwash this girl into thinking she's siri what did what happened to the other three? <laughs> well, so I'm I'm willing. So that's actually a mystery that I'm intrigued by. I think Mister Anti Mystery Box. Well, I I don't think this is necessarily a mystery box because I think we will get an answer. Oh, oh you don't. Really. I hope. I mean, it could. Okay, if if you if think it, if it turns okay, out this sucks, let's put, then let's I'll, fucking I will, put money on it I'll because I hat. I do not think they're going to explain this weird amalgamation of. Female body parts. Also, none of the bodies were female. I didn't notice any of the genitalia. They're all male. Yeah, they were pretty muscular, weren't they? Yeah. So those and there were those, no those, those little girls were working out before they were chopped up and made but it was into just a like, human centipede. There's there's no explanation for it. Why it looked like they came out of this weird egg sack too. I, yes, and it's just okay. like what the hell is this? I, like if you would have shown them 
not be like weird tendrils attached to the wall. Heads in a jar. If you something like that. Okay. Yeah. I and I like I, it, it had perfect. bodies like on their own, where clearly some like scientific thing was being done to them. This was not scientific. This was like some weird monstrous shit that someone has fucked up, whoever they're trying to. Can I, can I, can I theorize real quick? I think this powerful mage is trying to brainwash girls into believing that they're Siri. And if it doesn't work, they get chopped up and turned into a monster. And what we, and the girl who Geralt rescued was in the verge of, or verging on her brainwashing like breaking down or go, or she goes crazy or something or it's obvious like yes she says i'm siri but she looks like a total nut job and so she was destined for the corpse monster and well, i just for- liked it because in a show called the witcher about a monster hunter we get him fighting a monster in the eight minutes of screen time dedicated to ostensibly the titular character of the, sh- of the show that was that was well, i hope i hope for your sake they explain it and your hat's sake, because if they don't explain that fucking weird thing, <laughs> how about this? If if they I want a video, it, I'm posting a video on our Facebook of you chewing on your hat. You can throw a dart at my head. How about that? Okay. If you if you hit me, I will eat my hat. There we go. Okay. Any well, other? They, no, I'm done. <laughs> any with other that. hatred for the monster? Okay. I just it was so fucking stupid. I hated it. I like uh, the bo- I like the body horror. It reminded me of the thing. Okay. Well. I'm done. Whatever. Radovid's <laughs> Radovid actor's performance. I actually agree with you on this. I think he's yeah. doing very good. He's great. I I and he I gets better in episode three too. Oh, good. Okay. So I'm looking forward to this. You you kind of got at the end of of episode two here, where he joins the little banquet and Philippa says, like, I think, or maybe Dijkstra says, "There's more to you than meets the eye," or something along those lines. Then he kind of gets he demonstrates that he has one up on. Deekstra, even he might be, I don't know if he's telling the truth about the meeting that Vizimir had with Nilfgaard or he's just doing it to kind of needle Deekstra. But either way, I I liked it. And then his scenes with Yaskir are really good too, because he does this, he does this kind of emotionally like unsettled in a good way. It's almost like a puppy love type thing. He he portrays that really well. And I'm enjoying his performance. And to his credit, I think Joey Batty's also doing a good job in acting that, opposite. In him. that yeah. scenario, yeah. yeah. And it's even better because they put on that Radovid is good at acting. Yes. So that was the thing. He like he he himself as the character Radovid is a good actor. Yes. So we have no idea what his intentions are. We don't know. Yeah. So this will be intriguing. And if we go back to that scene with him and Philippa where she's like, you're really good at this. And he's like, oh, thanks, Pip and yawns like. He could be a real scumbag, and he's just really good at playing it up in the show. Yeah, absolutely. People who are not good at acting or whose actors are not good at acting, or let me say, whose actors are not good at acting as if they're acting, the whole Fringilla being drunk thing. If we can go back to his, I don't Mm -hmm. know, I don't know if this is a complaint for me. I just, we didn't need it. We don't need to see her either being drunk or pretending to be drunk in a disgusting wine tasting room to see I, if it's not poisonous for Amir. 
which you think, <laughs> is there anybody else who's a mage who can just cast a spell and say, yep, poison? Nope, not poison. She can't cast spells. She's wearing Dimeridium. No, but couldn't they find a mage who's not a prisoner who wants to serve the emperor and who they trust? Nilfgaard doesn't usually like mages. And then especially after Frangilla, they're like really anti-mage now. I'm just giving you the lore from the books, man. I was going to say, it would be really great if the, again, the show's internal logic needs to explain why people who are not trusted by the emperor are being used as wine or as poison tasters. Because you think if I'm trying to poison the emperor, I'm going to figure out a way to turn one of the poison tasters and give them a little bit of poison to put in the cup or something like that. It just doesn't make Mm -hmm. any fucking sense. Or I'm going to give the poison tasters the antidote so they eat or they taste the poison, but don't die. They say there's no poison and then Amir dies. It's like, again, the writers, the characters can only be as smart as the writers. Finally. Your last thing that you like. Setting Vizimir up to be a real doofus. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he looks like a doofus. He acts like a doofus. The people, you know, his brother thinks he's a doofus. And Dijkstra hates him pretty much. Yeah, which it's. I would also like to understand why does Dijkstra want to serve this person that he thinks is stupid, and is that going to be? I think he serves Redania. Okay, so I think, and he's he does say he does like push back on Filippo and earlier in this episode, or maybe in episode one. Yeah, she's like it'll be good for us. Yeah. He, he goes, means, oh, you, Redania. you Redania. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, yeah, he's, he serves the, he, and to that extent, he's kind of like little, or, oh my God, Varys, the spider from Game mm-hmm. of Thrones, who serves the realm, even if that means serving idiots and, and brutes. Now, however, they do establish the character of his wife, and there seems to be a facade of, of Vizimir's wife, and there seems to be a facade of marital affection. There might be something under there. And then that serving girl was a little too prominent or Eva or whoever that was, was a little too prominent to not be a player in some future action. So I think they are starting to put up some pieces on the chessboard. And we even may, I, it seems like, and I know where this is going because I've read the books. And do we want to spoil this? No. Let's not spoil I'm, it. I'm, yeah, because I'm pretty sure it'll come to fruition in episode three. So I don't want to oh, spoil okay. something that cool. will okay. pay off next episode. So. so let me just say, I like the way that they are setting the table for the the political intrigue that happens in Redania. Yeah. And then one of my last points, and I confused your note there, so it should yeah. be its own thing. Not only is there like intrigue into Redania and what's going on there. There's also some intrigue into what's about to go on at Artuza. And for me, a whole one of my biggest problems with the writing with season one is them dropping the Vilgefort's heel turn at the season one finale. And yeah. I, I this isn't like a I'm not giving anything away because I'm not talking about future episodes. I'm talking about episodes of the show that they've already given us. When we talk about if anybody who hadn't read the books, if we were saying, give me your list of who you think the bad mage could be, there's really only two options. It's either Stregobor, because we've had negative interactions with him in season one and season two, and even the first part of season three, and Geralt hates him, 
And then you have Vilgefortz, who you they give you the heel turn in the season finale of episode one, where he kills his own soldier, who like sees him for some reason. We we talked about it made no sense why he did it, but he does. So you know he's a bad guy because he's killing his own troops. And then you have his interactions with Taseya during season two, where he all of a sudden like screams at her and clearly is unhinged. So like when we get down to what's going on with Rance and who's the mage that's running shit for him, it's either Vilgefortz or Stregobor. And if you wanted things to be more of a surprise, don't give us that heel turn at the end of season one, barely touch on anything during season two. And then all of a sudden season three, be like, Oh, we, we don't know who it is. It could be anybody. When it's clearly not. So I don't know. That really well, bothered me. I, I'm I mean, I'm right there with you. The the and this is why I think the whole bracelet scene was so ham-fisted. Because if you're not just gonna tell us who the big evil guy is and give us scenes between the evil guy and his henchmen, then do more to misdirect, to build us up for an ex for subverting our expectations. Stregobor has been an antagonist, but he's not a villain, right? His his spat with Geralt over Renfrey was like three, 30 years ago. And it's never, it hasn't been mentioned. I mean, it doesn't seem like Geralt is, has an axe to grind over it or a sword to grind. So do more to show us that Stregobor is a bad guy instead of just one scene where he's looking down at Tessaia from a balcony. Mm -hmm. shoved into the the end of the, of season one or episode one of the season. I mean, if anybody should hate Stregobor, it's Yennefer. And we don't get, we don't get her talking about that at all. Or when, or how about this? How about your, your characters who want to protect Siri from these villainous forces start theorizing about who it might be. And they say, Oh, what about Vilgefortz? Oh no, Vilgefortz, he's out for he's out for self-advancement, but he he's got no reason to do this. What about Stregobor? Oh, it could be Stregobor. You know, he's you know, he's willing to go to any lengths. And I I know he's, you know, he's not a, he's not opposed to you know killing young girls. He's done it before. Easy enough line of dialogue. But again, Sam's not writing the show. So didn't happen. That's where we'll leave episode two. <laughs> we are not the writers uh, of the show. <laughs> we are not the writers of the show. <laughs> Looking forward to covering episode three next week. Sam, I have an idea. I want to float on air just to see what your opinions are of it. Live, unadulterated opinions. But in an episode when we're done with Witcher season three, I know we talked about possibly doing Nightmare of the Wolf, but what if we did? Because by the time season three is done, we'll be getting... Closer and closer to fantasy football season. What if we did a fantasy draft of Lord of the Rings fighters? Oh, that could be fun. Where we go back and forth, each selecting who we think the best fighter available is. And then once we're done, we can figure out whose matchup would win between the two. Okay, we can do that. Yeah. Do you want to expand it to include other 
Oh no no fantasies I think, as well. Just just Lord of the Rings. I think we just do Lord of the Rings, and we just do characters in the Peter Jackson trilogy. Oh, you don't want to include Galadriel from the Rings of Power because she's the no. number one. No, she can take, we... take a volcano straight to the face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that would also stop us from being able to be like, oh, Feanor and yeah, things yeah, like that. Yeah, so yeah. otherwise it'd be too enormous and both sides, we wouldn't be able to figure out who would win in a fight. So anyway, that's my idea of some fun we could do yeah, once we get done season three. And then we'll do Nightmare of the Wolf at some point because I that's a fucking badass anime. I really enjoyed it. You got to see it. All right. I like that plan. And maybe we do that Lord of the Rings fantasy draft live. Oh, with, with video. Oh, and then we post that on our Facebook page. We could do that. That could be a lot of fun. We could do the audio on our normal podcasting, but then put the video on Facebook. I don't know. I don't know, Sam. I like it. We promised more videos in 2023 and we have uh, not delivered. No, so here's the only problem who's going to watch? <laughs> because I think, uh, I don't know if our, if our, our core fan base is ready to flip over to a live YouTube thread. Oh, it wouldn't be live. We'd record it and then post. Oh, okay. It. I'm saying record, record, us, us. record the live conversation and then yes. post the video. And then oh, okay, post okay, the video. Okay. Yeah. okay. I thought yeah, we were talking yeah, about yeah. streaming like a live No, we'd have, event. we'd okay. have two people. <laughs> and they'd, if that, they'd, and they'd, they're both bots. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they're both our wives. <laughs> oh, no, I was saying probably not. <laughs> Okay. Uh, right. You can keep up with us on Facebook, Elves, Rings, and Nerdy Things. You can send us an email at elvesringsnerdythings at gmail.com. You can listen to the podcast at pretty much every podcasting site there is. Our fan favorites are Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Tell us what you think of season three of The Witcher, episode one, so episode far. two. Yeah, don't spoil it for us. But let us know what you think. Let us know if our criticisms are valid, invalid. Let me know if I'm being shrill. Let me know if you agree with my complaint about the writers. Anyway, talk to us. But we will talk to you in your ear holes next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.